this, uh, this is a, a key passage in Scripture. It's one probably verse 8. You may have memorized in Sunday school. But it's important because it's the launch of what Jesus said he was going to do all the way back uh, to Abraham. Be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And so, um, as it's read this morning, um, uh, pay, pay attention and understand that uh, this is like uh, this is like uh, Cape Canaveral here. You got the you got the big launch of the of well, they don't do space shovels anymore, do they? Those are that's a, that's a, that's a thing of yesteryear, isn't it? Um, so I'm kind of speaking for my generation. But uh, when you launch a space shuttle, you had that big rocket that that space shuttle was on, and as that rocket went up to launch that space shuttle. The first stage of that rocket will fall away. It got that thing off the ground and headed up in the air. And then as it got higher, um, another part of that stage fell away here. And so it's kind of like the book of Acts. Uh, There's something big that's going on, something explosive that's going on. And something really big needs to happen in Acts chapter 2 in order to get this launch going. And that's really what what this section is all about. So, are you on? Good morning. Good morning. As uh, Jamie mentioned, the scripture reading today will be Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Unlike Randy singing unfamiliar songs, I'm going to read a very familiar um, passage in scripture. And as Jamie said, this is the, the launch, so to speak, of the church. Um, Jesus has spoken about the, king, the kingdom of heaven, um, pushing back the kingdom of darkness, and here's where we get our commission on how that's going to start to look, how that's going to unfold. So Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word uh, that you've given to us. Uh, we don't get to see everything or know everything, but we know that this uh, word that you've given us gives us the information that we need. And here we find our uh, command to bring the good news of the gospel to the nations. Father, I pray that uh, you would work through South Hope that we would be a beacon of light for the gospel. I pray for each of us as members uh, that are here today, that as we go out into our own Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria, that we would be carrying this good news with us. 
Father, we know there's many churches meeting um, in this area and across the world. And today we specifically think of um, Harmony Bible Church and Pastor Chris Quimby. We pray that you would um, be with their service today, that your Holy Spirit would be with them, and that you would um, open their hearts and ears to what uh, Chris has prepared. Um, Father, we pray the same for Pastor Jamie today. We pray that you would embolden him and strengthen him, give him clarity of thought. Father, help us to listen to this um, this information that you've given us in your word and that uh, we would act on that and it would cause us to, to go out and go forth and proclaim. And we thank you for everything you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Josh here. Appreciate that. We are in Acts, so Acts 1. Um, sometimes when I open my Bible and the passage I'm going to be preaching on falls into like two different parts, um, like two different pages, it really messes me up to not see the whole passage on the page. And this is one of those ones in Acts where the first like three and a half verses are on the bottom of the corner of this page, and the other, it, the rest of it's on the next page. And if you don't preach, that's that's not a big deal to you, but if you want to see it all right there, that's a big deal, and so um, it's going to be a little distracting here, I'm just going to be, be honest about that. And I wonder if there were any service opportunities that opened up this week for you, um, where you had an opportunity to, uh, to serve, which strengthens relationships, which enables us to make disciples uh, of Jesus, and maybe one of those stages, or one of those three parts of service, or the um, relationship or the uh, making disciples opened up into a greater capacity. Anybody have an opportunity here where you saw God open a door or uh, prepare the way here through through service? We had a strange opportunity kind of open up to us on Wednesday night. Um, Jean Monroe mentioned a lady in the uh, in the area. Uh, needed some help, really didn't have a whole lot of support in moving her um, her household belongings all the way down to Florida. She had a large U-Haul truck and a trailer behind that with um, with some gear. And so we knocked on the door and asked if she could use any help, and she certainly could. Um, and it was so much and so overwhelming that we called up the, the teens who were meeting at um, the Champions Home for, for their Wednesday night uh, uh, project and said, hey, come on over here. Uh, this is what you need to be doing tonight. And so they came over and helped us, and Matthew and I and Lee and uh, Greg and uh, Harrison and, and Kim Mank and um, uh, others, I believe, uh, helped us uh, move that, get that lady's stuff into the truck and uh, sent her off. And uh, she's one little lady, 70 years old, driving a, the biggest U-Haul truck you can rent before you get to the semi level semi-truck level, and um, driving all the way to Florida, um, just stopping along the way at well-lighted truck stops, she said to sleep. Um, and we loaded that thing to the gills and said, all right, what do you have to have in that truck and what can stay behind? And when it was time to go, we said, God bless you, because um, uh, it was in her hands. Uh, she, she, we, we put we put her in his hands uh, to take care of her. Last we heard, she was in Georgia 
headed to the Florida line here. And you know the storms that were coming up the coast here um, Wednesday, etc. here. But God opened up a door just to be a blessing here. And we don't know what God will do with that later on. Um, but be aware of those opportunities. Anybody else, some, some ways that God opened the door for you here or you saw him work? It was a blessing to her, but it was also a blessing to that couple that had been working with her all week. Yeah, there's a couple who had been helping all week, and um, <clears throat> just having some extra hands was was huge. They were exhausted. And then believers, fellow believers too, so that was kind of a neat, neat connection there. Um, you just don't know what God will do. And uh, keep your eyes and ears open for opportunities. Uh, that's one opportunity. You have others. Some of you have picked up some of those challenges to be a blessing to the local schools and to the local um, first responders uh, here. And uh, you're taking some stuff over here shortly. I appreciate that. Um, lots of ways like that that we can show that God has blessed us to be a blessing. Which leads me to an announcement here as well that I was given. Um, some of you um, moms or other ladies are associated with the Moms Community Play Group that Sheeny Peace is, is held in the um, upper uh, part of the, the Union um, hardware store. And uh, she's going to start that up again and uh, doing it every other Tuesday morning, possibly from 10 until noon in the play area of the store. And there's a need to have different women in the church to help host this. And um, you don't need to have children to host, but uh, you do need to love people and care for people. And um, if you can volunteer, and it opens up opportunities to know other moms in our community and minister, and more natural ways to speak in conversations um, there through a common um, life stage and encourage them. And so if you can help host this, that um, let you please know. No, if you don't have kids. Alright, so we've been working through the mission of God, and uh, we started with creation, of course, where God made us as imagers to represent Him, and to see imagers multiplied throughout the world. By imagers, we mean people who are like God, in the way they act and correspond, and as God has blessed them, so they bless others. They represent God in His, in his character. And then we know what went wrong with that. Um, we didn't reign under God. We reigned in our own little kingdom and went our own way, and sin fell upon man, but God promised the way. And he calls out a man in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham, he chose one man and his family to build a nation that would eventually bless all the nations of the world. And he specifically made a promise with that man, Abraham, to be the vessel who would be the fulfillment of that promise, and he would reconcile the rebellious nations who rejected God. And this nation would be based in the land of Canaan, um, from the Nile River to Euphrates, and would grow from, from Abraham through, through, through Isaac. And then God made a nation out of this, and that nation is Israel in Exodus 19. And God makes a covenant with Israel, it gives them a constitution uh, to the descendants of Abraham to bless all the families of the earth. And they were to be a nation that introduced God, the one true God, Yahweh, to the nations of the world. They were to be a priestly kingdom. They would represent God uh, to the nations, and they would be a holy nation. They would bear his name. And one of the ways they would bear his name was through what we call the, the Ten Commandments, that were kind of a summary of the bedrock of, of, of God's uh, law to them. And we know through reading the Old Testament that they failed in their agreement to that covenant. 
And but God said, one day I'm going to give you a new heart. And he promised a new covenant. And he said, there's going to come up one like Moses who would explain God's plan. And Peter identifies him as Jesus of Nazareth. Well, it wasn't too long later in Israel's history that they decided they wanted a king. And God gave him a king, and he was a failure. And God gave him another king, David. And while David was reigning, God made a promise with David that his kingdom and his throne would last forever. And there would be a future king that would come from Galilee who would be both God and man. And David understood this king to be his Lord, who would die and be raised and sit at the right hand of God. And David saw this as part of that promised plan of God that God made to Abraham to make a great nation for himself. And David wrote a lot of psalms to instruct the nation of Israel in that promise. And then last week we saw in Mark chapter 1 the arrival of a king. Mark 1, 1 through 15 is loaded with kingly language. Um, and he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40 where the, the, there would be a prophet to prepare the way for a king. And so Jesus arrives in Mark chapter 1, and he proclaims the good news. And the good news is this. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And Jesus identifies himself as the Son of God, who is that one that was promised to David in the Old Testament. And the fundamental part of that good news that was revealed was Jesus would be killed. He would suffer, be killed. He would be buried. He would be resurrected. And those who believe on him will be part of his spiritual kingdom. And there was a small group who believed, and they stayed with Jesus after his resurrection and ascension. And they were to proclaim the good news to the whole world in Mark 16. Later on, you see that Peter preaches this good news in five sermons in Acts. And Paul restates it in 1 Corinthians 15 after he receives it from the apostles. And it leads us here to Acts chapter, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The thing I want us to see this morning is that if Mark was Jesus and why he came and was killed and buried and resurrected and ascended, then the book of Acts is Jesus continued. Jesus continued. You might notice in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, the former treatise, the former writing, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. When Luke is writing this, he's writing a second volume of which he's already written the first volume, the book of Luke. And he's writing to a specific person, a probably, it seems to be, a Roman official, who needed to be convinced of the historical certainty of these truths. The certainty that, first of all, everything that happened in the book of Luke of Jesus and his life on this earth to his ascension had happened. And now he's going to write the second part of this. So Luke is, Luke is writing after, the setting of, of Luke is he's writing after Acts 28. He's all the way at the end here. right? And he's writing to this Roman official, Theophilus, and he's saying, I wrote this one before, the book of Luke, about everything that Jesus began to do and teach implying that the second volume here is everything that Jesus continued to do. But you might ask yourself, well, I thought that Jesus was ascended and went to heaven in the book of Luke. And you're correct. And so what Luke is telling us in the book of Acts 
is the book of Acts is the record of what Jesus continues to do through the Spirit and the church. The church is Jesus' body. The Spirit is that third member of the Trinity, the triune God, who indwells the body of Christ and empowers them to do his mission. And it's very important to understand that because what, people, what, uh, what um, Luke wants us to understand is that part one, the book of Luke, was certain. Luke had gone around and he had um, uh, compiled this report from eyewitnesses and compiled this, this, this record here. Part one is certain. So I want you to go back to Luke chapter one to see this. See these connections between volume one and volume two of Luke and Acts. Where Luke writes in Luke 1 1, for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them to us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding, complete understanding of all things from the very first. To write to you in order, most excellent Theophilus, that you might know the certainty of those things wherein you have been instructed. And so in Acts, Luke is saying, remember that? I wrote that. It, was, it showed the certainty of the historical facts of what Jesus had done in his message here. Now I'm writing part two. Part two. And in Acts chapter one, he continues validating this um, volume 2 and what Jesus had already done to show that Jesus is continuing to work. And he says, I wrote to this to you in, in, in verse 2, until the day in which he was taken up, in Acts 1, um, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion or suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen in them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which says he, you have heard of me. The first thing I want us to see is this, is the gospel gives us an enthro the enthroned king to be convinced of. Look, look how he writes this in Acts chapter 1, 1 through 4. Um, there is, there is a, an impression that you get from reading these verses here, that there is a certainty of a reigning king. Notice what he says. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Verse 4, he commanded them. Verse 5, he tells them that John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And verse 6, he describes the ascension in their question. At the end, when Jesus goes back up to heaven, they ask Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, you don't need to know that right now. What you do, do need to know is what's going to come upon you. These first four verses here of Acts chapter 1 show us that these apostles, these believers, were absolutely convinced that Jesus was the reigning king. You know, the scripture doesn't tell you to just blindly jump into faith. The evidence is to be considered. These people had seen Jesus alive from among the dead ones. 
He came out of the grave alive. They had seen him. They were eyewitnesses. They were convinced that Jesus is alive and living, and he was going to do what he promised. And then all of a sudden, he goes up into heaven. Now what, right? Well, the book of Acts is Jesus continued, and so it's going to tell us what that now what is. And Jesus is going to continue to do, and Jesus is continued to teach. And the ministry of the word and the ministry of his believers, of his church, is going to expand and explode. The, the gospel gives the enthroned king to be convinced of. You know, it's one thing to say, oh yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. It's another thing to be convinced of it. That I'm going to live and I'm going to die for this truth, for this fact. And these people did. And I, I wonder here, as you've received the gospel of Jesus Christ, as probably most of you in this room would testify and profess that you know the Lord Jesus Christ, are you convinced of an enthroned living king at this moment? Who holds the world, the universe in his hands. Who is guiding it to its completed end. Who will one day receive the glory. And one day every knee and every tongue and, uh, uh, will, will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he is king to the glory of God the Father. Or is it just some stuff that, yeah, I know that. But The gospel gives the enthroned king to be convinced of. Are you convinced Part one was certain in Luke. Part two is certain as well. That's the second thing I want you to see here in, um, in Acts chapter one. Because what's important is, is uh, after he describes what Jesus had done, and he describes uh, the, the, the days after Jesus' resurrection, where they saw him those 40 days and heard Jesus teaching again about the kingdom of God. And verse uh, eight, he says, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons, we're going to restore again the kingdom of Israel. But he says, this is what you do need to know, verse 8. But, you shall receive power when? After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and the result, you shall be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Here's the second part we need to understand. The gospel doesn't just give us the enthroned king who holds all things together. The gospel gives us right here, right now, in our day and in our time, in our person, the empowering spirit to transform. How is Jesus going to do, going to continue to do what he did and taught? How is, how is that going to continue? And the answer to that is, if you go back to John 16, you don't have to turn there, but... Jesus said, I'm going to go away, and I'm going to send the comfort. And he says, it's actually better that I am physically gone, and that I send my comforter, the Holy Spirit, to you. Because the comforter is going to uh, indwell all of you. When I'm here on this earth, in this physical form, Jesus is saying here, is, is that there is a, there is a sense where, where Jesus here um, uh, was limited. But through his spirit, through the spirit of God, his church will be empowered to, trans, to be transformed and to transform those who they minister to. I'm not saying Jesus is limited in the sense that he's not omnipotent, etc. here, but the physical presence of Jesus was limited. Now, through the spirit, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the person of the, of the Trinity here, the person of Jesus is going to be dispersed and scattered and multiplied. 
So what's happening here in Acts chapter 1 is this. If the certainty of Jesus was true in the book of Luke, then the part 2 of Jesus, that he's going to continue to work, he's going to continue to see his word multiply, is certain as well. You see, how does the empowering spirit transform? How does the good news produce with us a gift, the gift of the person of the Holy Spirit? And what does that look like? And part of the answer to that question is this. Before what we know happened in Acts chapter 2, a big explosion where that rocket was launched, there was an Acts 1 church before there was an Acts 2 church. What do we mean by that? Well, I'd like you to look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. There's something that's happening in the church that will give channel to the Spirit to give power to transform them through. Acts 1.14 These all continued united with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brother. Those faithful believers united their hearts together in what? In prayer. Look in Acts chapter 2. In verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Spirit comes upon them. And we go verse 4. And verse, and verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There was a, there was a group of 120 believers who believed Jesus' words at the end of Luke when he said, I'm going to commission you to pre preach repentance and forgiveness of sins. But, but here's what you're going to do until then, until I send the Spirit, until I send the promise of the Father. You're going to tarry in Jerusalem. You're going to stay in Jerusalem. And they understood that to mean this. They were to pray. They were to wait upon the Lord, and they were to pray. And that was the channel that God would give the empowering Spirit to transform them through. And so God sends a spirit on them and launches with that, with that first phase there of, the, of, that, of that launch on that rocket, so to speak, here. And God catapults the church. And 3,000 people hear the message of the gospel and respond to it. And God builds a church. And then in Acts chapter 2, you know what they're doing? Acts 41, then they gladly received his word, were baptized. And the same day they were added to them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the teaching, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in, and in what? And in prayers. Fear came upon every soul, many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You see the transformation that's going on? They're loving one another. They're, they're, they're acting sacrificially. Um, they are setting themselves aside to serve other people. They're praying together. They're engaging in meals together, community together. And God is doing a transforming work. 
The Spirit's coming upon them. He's changing that city, the city of Jerusalem. So what happens? Oh, he's doing stuff, so does that mean that they, um, uh, you know, stop the prayer? Look at Acts chapter 3 and verse 1. Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. And God does another amazing work and heals the lame man. Well, the religious leaders don't like that and they threaten them. And in Acts chapter 4, um, Peter is in obedience to the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he says to them and he preaches Christ. And then when he goes back and reports to the other believers in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, you know what they're doing? In Acts, excuse me, in Acts 4, 24 to 31. When they heard that, heard Peter's report, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God. And they prayed. They quote Psalm 2. They're continuing in prayer. Because that's how the Holy Spirit transforms. It's a major, major player here in, 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 the, uh, in the work of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ gives an empowering spirit to transform truth. What's the result of it? Well, even the world, even the very enemies of Jesus are astounded. Because Acts 4.13 says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge, and they took note of this, that they had been with Jesus. You see what the Holy Spirit's starting to do. And here's what I want you to understand from this second point. That the Gospel gives the Spirit of God, the empowering Spirit to transform us. The way that happens is really simple. Obedience to King Jesus fuels gospel transformation. Obedience to Jesus fuels spirit transformation. He had said it to them, and you could see this at the end of, of, of Luke, Luke 24, about 41 through, through, through 50, I believe. Um, to, to stay in Jerusalem. And you're going to receive this power. What do they do? They stayed in Jerusalem. What did they do while they were there? They prayed. Okay, after the Spirit comes down and they teach the Word of God, then what does God do? Well, they continue in prayer. He shows them the next step. And friends, this is, that, this is how the Christian life works together as God's community. Obedience to King Jesus, God uses that to have spirit transformation in our lives and in the communities that affects others. Do you notice in verse 46 of Acts chapter 2, you're just doing these rhythms, right? In obedience to God, and praising God, and having favor with all the people. And notice the result of it in verse 47. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Why? Because they were obeying the light that they had. And God was doing powerful things through it. So friends, when you came to Jesus... Jesus put his spirit in you. That same Holy Spirit. And his effects might be different, and the way he works might be, might be different, uh, and, and, and tailored, tailored to each individual here. But he's bringing together a community here through which transformation happens within the community and extends beyond the community to the local peoples. And even beyond. Why and how? Only when there is obedience to King Jesus. They obeyed what Jesus said, 
and the Holy Spirit does a transforming work. Well, finally, the third point is this. Back in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, what did he say? You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And what's the result going to be? You shall be witnesses. You'll bear witness. You'll bear my name to me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and all Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. And the third thing is this. The gospel gives us an ensured mission to live for. He doesn't say this. Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and I really hope that the gospel is going to go to the end of all the earth. What does he say? Look at the certainty of the language. You what? You will be witnesses. You'll bear witnesses to Christ, the living Christ, the enthroned king. The gospel gives an ensured mission to live for. To live for. This is what Luke is honing in on, and you can kind of see the rest of the of the book in this these circles here. You have Jerusalem, a little bit larger circle, Judea, a little bit larger circle, Samaria, and then what? The uttermost parts of the earth, even Maine, right? And so in chapters one through seven, you have a witness in Jerusalem. We're waiting for in Jerusalem for the Spirit to come. He brings Messiah's instructions of obeying the command for the work they were to do. And when he comes, the Spirit comes. Peter proclaims in Acts 2 the good news, and 3,000 are added to the new community. The church grows, and they begin a one-minded devotion to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and, 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 and sharing meals together into prayer. And then you have in Acts chapter um, uh, uh, 8 through 12, you have the witness expanding to Judea and Samaria. And Philip is a major part in this. And you see this idea of the kingdom of God and the preaching of God, and it's expanding. It, it went. It started there in Jerusalem, and now, look at Acts 8, 12. What's, what's Philip preaching? He's preaching the things concerning the reign of God, the enthroned Christ, Messiah, the King, the saving King. And it's expanded to now beyond ethnic lines here to now Samaria. And through persecution, God spreads the church into the next phase beyond Jerusalem because in Acts 13 through 28, Paul becomes a major player on the scene. And there's the witness to the whole world. At the end of Acts, Paul's in Rome, the capital of the empire. This is amazing. If you think about it, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, they're, they're reached with the gospel through Paul and others from the church at Antioch in Acts 13. They're sent out as chosen vessels by the Spirit to do the work of expanding the borders of the gospel and this pioneering work that, on the front lines there. They're, they're serving there in the church of Antioch and the Holy Spirit makes it clear before the team of leaders in the church that these guys are chosen to lead this task of making disciples beyond Antioch. In Acts 13, 1 through 3. And so in Acts 13 through the end of chapter 14 is their first missionary journey. And their pattern is this. You can see this in Acts 14, 21 to 23. They're proclaimed the good news. They look for opportunities. They're looking for to make connections with people. Um, they proclaim the good news in various ways in strategic cities and the surrounding areas. Then they establish the new converts by instructing them in the apostles' teaching. And then they move these instructed believers into these new communities of the king. Gospel communities. What we call churches. And they appoint pastors, a team of pastors, in the churches. 
And so, in one of these, Ephesus, Paul can say this, when it's all said and done. By the time he has done these three things, established believers and appointed leaders, he says, now I know, uh, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. His work's finished. That doesn't mean he doesn't care about that church anymore, because he's going to write some letters to them. He's going to send key men, but he himself won't be present with them. But his point is this. This is the kingdom of God doing its work here. And this is a cycle Paul will follow on his other trips. So that, here's what you see. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. Whenever the people of God are obedient to his word, and they are surrendering to the Holy Spirit, and his transforming work of forming Christ in their lives... An amazing thing happens. Look at Acts 6, verse 7. Even when it was to distribute food among the widows. In Acts 6, 7 it says, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and the great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Well, go with me to Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. Kind of the, the second panel of the book of Acts. When they obey the Lord, when they are surrendered to the Holy Spirit, Acts 9.31 says this, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, were multiplied. You see the word of God increase. Now here you see language of or multiply. Now go to Acts chapter 12, verse 24. Acts 12, verse 24. Standing in suffering, standing in persecution, it looks like the devil's going to shut the church down and take out key leaders, but Acts 12, 24 says this. But, in contrast to the king Herod, who was taken down by worms... Acts 12.24 says, the word of God grew and multiplied. We'll go over to Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. Paul has an eye on seeing leaders develop, young leaders develop. And he has an eye on Timothy, who is well reported of. And he takes Timothy along with him. And as he does so, God blesses that. Because God desires to see other people step up and take the lead. In Acts 16 and verse 5, look at the result. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in numbers daily. When there is a growth mindset, not just numbers, but a growth of transformation, life change, and pursuing God... And letting faith run over through what God has said over fears, then this is what happens. And then here's what you see in Acts chapter 19 and verse 20. The darkness is being pushed back. There are people who were who are uh, demon possessed in um, the city of. Uh, the city of Ephesus, and um, 
They're opposing Paul. And in Acts chapter 19 and verse 20, when God does a transforming power work of turning those people from their dark arts to the one true king, here's what happens. Here's the summary statement. Verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. It spread and had power. It had power. This is, the, this is the power of the gospel that happens through the Spirit coming upon His people and empowering them to bear witness of who Jesus is. That Jesus is alive. That everything Jesus has said is true. That we're going to live in obedience to King Jesus out of His death and burial and resurrection for us. And so when it closes, when Luke closes the book in Acts chapter 28, this is how it closes. This theme of the kingdom of God, the reign of God, through his word, through people responding in submission to the word of God, rather than their own idolatry or their own self-salvation plans, this is what happens. At the end, you have the main player, the main human player in this whole story, he's under house arrest and bound. But look at Luke's commentary on this whole situation. He said this, And Paul dwelt two years in his own house and received or welcomed all that came into him. God's bringing people into him. Preaching what? The kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding it. You see the pattern here? When Luke wants to say that things are moving, you know how he says it? The Word of God's getting really big. That's what he's saying. It's getting really big because people are coming underneath of it, responding to it. And they're responding to it, and it's changing and transforming them from the inside out, and it's affecting other people. And so as the church followed Christ's instructions on making disciples of the nations, here, Luke is also instructing the readers this is how Jesus continued is carried out. This promise that God made to Abraham to bless all the nations, this is how it's carried out through God's promise plan. To proclaim the gospel strategically, to see the gospel demonstrated in life as well, in actions and response, life transformation, to form believers into congregations to set apart leaders over their churches to develop and protect Jesus' sheep for the purpose, the process of continuing and multiplying and advancing the good news to the nations. And as you read the apostles' sermons, what you're going to find out is they understood that this wasn't a new thing. They understood, they understood that this wasn't an unexpected thing to God. That this was embedded in the Old Testament. That God had set them to be a light to the Gentiles. Salvation to the ends of the earth. As Paul quotes in Acts chapter 13. And so here's what we have here. What began as a promise. That through Abraham. All the families of the earth would be blessed. Has progressed to this point. That the known Mediterranean world. Whether they responded to him or not, knew something about this King Jesus. 
This, the, the Jesus Church, a spirit-empowered church, it's the center of God's plan for the progress of the gospel by the multiplication of disciples here in congregations and churches. That may have been a surprise to Israel. They were caught off guard. But it was clearly the Spirit's plan all the way along in spite of Israel's rejection. And when Jesus was raised from the, among the dead ones as the living king, God launched the phase of his plan that Jesus said would come with power as it is in heaven. And because Jesus was decisively raised, and because he has all authority and power over the earth as the risen king, his disciples now are to be agents of this kingdom that grows. Like a mustard seed. Like a little yeast. And Jesus' resurrection means that there is a mission to the world that is launched because Jesus is Lord over the world. Jesus Christ is the enthroned Messiah King. He has launched the beginning here, this phase. Oh, this kingdom is not reached in its fullness. That will come when Jesus returns. But our lives are to be embassies of the kingdom of God in a foreign land. And the resurrection makes all this possible as a turning point for everything else that will lead up to it and will follow. And Jesus raised, as Luke is writing in Acts 1, 1 through 4, the certainty of Jesus raised means he really is the promise bearer of the good news to the whole world that unfolded through Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets. And the resurrection shows the importance and fulfillment of the Old Testament and the beginning of God's worldwide mission to transform the nations through his church here today. And it leads us to this question, doesn't it? Here. Since the gospel convinces us of the enthroned king and transforms us by the empowering spirit and purposes us for an assured mission, then how does that change us? How does that change us? And the answer to that question is a little homework for you on your own. Read the book of Titus, Titus 1, 2, and 3. That's how the good news changes us. It allows us in our various work relationships, our family relationships, our inter-church relationships, to show that the gospel, the good news of King Jesus is beautiful. To adorn the gospel is the word that Paul uses to Titus. It transforms us. It transforms moms and their kids. It transforms dads and their, and their kids. It transforms husbands and wives. It transforms uh, relationships of, of authority that we have, whether under authority or having authority over people. It transforms the way you use your finances. It transforms the way you look at your possessions as not mine, but things to be used for God's kingdom. It transforms the way you look at your home and your kitchen table now as opportunities to be a blessing and, 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 and connect people to Jesus. It changes the way you work. It changes your attitude. It changes children how you respond to your parents. This is what the gospel does. And it enables us to bear the name of Jesus. That Jesus is good. That everything Jesus has said is true. And that Jesus is alive because of the work he does within us. And since Jesus of Nazareth is the reigning king of the universe, how does that transform our real life right now? And there's a way to answer that question very simply. And the way is this. 
Think about Jesus. Read the Gospels. If Jesus is the reigning king of the universe, how does that transform our real life? Well, what's the goal of transformation? It's not just transformation for transformation's sake and, and vague and ambiguous. It's transforming into the person of Jesus, his character, who he is. And so when you look back at the Gospels, there are a few things here that here's how it transforms our real life right now. Jesus proclaimed himself as a saving king with his words. So it transforms our words. Jesus demonstrated himself as a saving king with his deeds. So the way we live and the way we act should bear witness to Jesus that he's the king. Jesus embodied himself as a saving king with his life. It wasn't that Jesus just thought these things, he said these things. Jesus took somebody's dirty foot in his hand and washed it. He embodied this. Jesus gathered and formed and taught the community of the king. And there's a role we all have in that, in teaching one another. Whether that's public teaching or one-on-one or your kids, God's entrusted you with a ministry of teaching. What God has taught you. Jesus welcomed the poor and the outcasts into the community of the king, didn't he? Another way. Jesus prayed for the community of the king. Think about his prayer in John 17. And Jesus suffered for his kingdom as he challenged the powers that opposed the kingdom of God. It's a call to suffer. There was a time where the disciples were sharing Jesus and standing up for Jesus. And they were persecuted. And they were thrown in prison. And they were beaten. And Luke's comment on that situation was this. They rejoiced that they had been counted worthy to suffer for his name. You want to know how Jesus of Nazareth, since he's the reigning king of the universe, transforms our real lives right now? Go through a hard time without realizing or understanding that Jesus is king. And then imagine going through that same difficult situation, hard time, with the absolute assurance that the living Jesus is alive and reigning, and he's with you in that moment. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to bear his name. Bear his name. Does that sound like Acts 1.8? You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Why? That you'll be witnesses who will, who will testify here with your words and your life to all the nations, to all who will observe, to all who will hear, to all who will listen, to all you will influence, that Jesus is the enthroned King. Let's pray. Lord, this is the book that sometimes you read back and say, wow, those were the good old days. And that is not your intent. Your purpose here in these scriptures is to show us that Acts as Jesus continued. 
and you left uh, the end of that, uh, that book kind of open-ended. You're still at work. You're still showing that you are the reigning king of the universe. You, the one who gave your life as a ransom for many, who came not to be served, but to serve. And be a servant, the one who was buried among the dead, and then the one who, out of all the dead, walked out of the tomb. You're the one who is seated at the right hand, the throne of God, who has been received as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And Lord, help us now, because we have been convinced that you are the enthroned King. You will lay claim on our lives, that you will transform us by your empowering spirit, and that you have purposed us for a mission that will not fail. Help us to live in line and obedience with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, let's, let's sing uh, as we're led, and then we're going to uh, transition to the Lord's Supper.
You can be seated um, here. As uh, have uh, some, the deacons come to help distribute the uh, the elements, I want you to understand that when you take the Lord's Supper um, this morning on a cloudy September fifth in a little corner of Maine and a little corner of the world, you are participating and celebrating the victory of Jesus Christ. And that when we gather together as a, as a body, as a family here, and we engage in this, that it's not just something that, oh, that's part of, uh, you know, that's just something we do. That there's a statement that you are making about the gospel when you do that. That there's a statement that you're making that Jesus Christ has, like we just said here, he, is, he has defeated sin and death, and he has conquered it, and he has brought us into his kingdom. And so as we take that this morning, when you take that bread, that's, that, that cracker there that's been crumbled, that's been broken, what you're celebrating is the cost of which it took to do that. And when you drink that cup there, that little cup there, the juice here, what you're celebrating is the cost it took to remove your sin and make you stand pure before the Lord. But you're, but you're, you're celebrating something just beyond an individual thing here, your individual response. What you're also celebrating is a church. You're celebrating what Jesus has done to bring a church into existence, to fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham, that in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, and that he has done it here in Midcoast, Maine. And he will continue to do it, and he will continue to see it multiplying through the earth. So deacons, as you come here this morning, uh, disperse 